James, thank you so much for that wonderful time of worship. Hi church, my name is Ashley and I'm the pastor of local and global outreach here. And I just wanna welcome you to Cedar Mill Online. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. How's everybody doing? Hopefully you're doing well. If you're not doing well, that's okay too. I know this season for me has been a roller coaster of emotions. And so be honest with where you're at. Um, as I said before, I think all of us are having a variety of emotions surging through our hearts and our minds right now, stemming from a variety of different things that may be taking place in our lives and in our world. For example, some of you are dealing with challenges within your families, while some of you are battling new and returning health issues. Some of you have been frustrated and deeply grieved by what's going on in our churches, in our world, in our country, and even in our own city of Portland. It's safe to say that most of us are tired and weary. I know I am. The effects of grappling with racism and systemic injustice, as well as so many unknowns in our world right now, has taken an emotional toll on us all. And it seems to me when I really think about it, that most of God's people have been lamenting and mourning losses of some kind for most of 2020. Personally, over the past few months, I've felt like God has been teaching me a lot about lament, and I didn't even want to learn it. Back in March, two weeks into Lent, when everything was closing down because of the coronavirus, everything about life changed within a blink of an eye. It did for everybody. I woke up every day for a month in tears. I mean that, and I'm not even a crier or a deeply empathetic person. However, during this time, my heart was filled with deep grief over the reality of the coronavirus. This pandemic was going to have drastic effects on my way of life, on the life of my friends, on the life of my family, on the life of this world. For example, I was going to be alone in my apartment for an undetermined amount of time. And even though I'm an introvert, too much time alone is not a good thing. I wasn't going to be able to see my friends and I wasn't going to be able to have human touch for a prolonged period of time. It was over eight weeks before I actually had a hug. I probably broke some rules with that. This realization was heartbreaking. And then I started to realize that there have been people living the lifestyle that I was currently embarking on prior to COVID-19, the lifestyle of isolation, the lifestyle of social distancing prior to this, this virus. I started to think about the prisoner, the orphan, the widow, the shut-in, people who had been and are being abused and don't yet know the value or the restorative qualities of healthy embrace or touch. It was at this point that God took me beyond my own grief and started teaching me what it meant to lament for those around me, as well as for our world. Lament continues to be very painful, but necessary for me and a necessary lesson for the church today. 
as I've been reflecting on lament, I couldn't help but be reminded of Easter, which we celebrated a little over three months ago. Prior to celebrating the reality of all that the resurrection of Jesus means for us, we recognized Lent. This is the 40 intentional days of lament that the church has set aside. I bring this up because God uses Lent to help his people identify with the pain that came along with Jesus' sacrifice. Lament during the Lenten season is the expression of our acknowledgement and identification with the suffering of Jesus. It's what makes the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter all the sweeter. Far too often, we neglect to regularly practice lament as part of our Christian faith today. We often want to rush past pain and sadness and grief in order to get to the quick fix, robbing ourselves and others of an opportunity for a deeper level of communion with God. This wasn't the case for earlier followers of Jesus. Pastor and scholar N.T. Wright says this about lament. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, new hope, and new wisdom for our leaders. Now there's a thought, church. Some of you may be asking, what is lament? And that's a great question. And the answer is simple. Lament is deep sorrow and grief. Most of us who have experienced loss or watched someone we love being hurt or hurting know what lament feels like. It is indescribable, unmistakable expression of sorrow and sadness. But this sadness, however, hopefully leads us to renewed joy and celebration and partnership within the church while enriching our understanding of God. So our ability to understand and engage with the act of lament is of the utmost importance to our faith, as well as to the ongoing health of our churches and the ongoing work of dismantling injustice, not just injustice of systemic racism, but injustice of any and all kinds. Author, activist, and theologian, Dr. Sung Chan Ra says this about the importance of lament. The absence of lament in liturgy of the American church results in the loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain, so we forget the reality of suffering and pain. The loss of lament in the American church reflects a serious theological deficiency. There can be no praise without lament. Lament is a significant practice that I feel God is urging us to reclaim and engage in as a community in this season and beyond. So it's with that in mind that I invite you to continue on with me in this series with Psalm 79. And Psalm 79 is found in book three of the Psalms. And book three consists of mostly Psalms of lament. Psalm 79 specifically is a psalm of community, 
lament. It followed a great disaster that fell upon Jerusalem. This disaster was most likely the Babylonian destruction. This psalm tells of the violence and impiety of Gentile conquerors, and it asks God how long he intends to put up with such things. Although this psalm tells of the violence of the Gentiles, by the time we get to the end, we're reminded that the disaster came because Israel did not embrace the covenant God made with them in true faith. This psalm confesses and asks God for forgiveness and pledges renewed faithfulness. And these are all key parts of lament. As I read this psalm in preparation for this sermon, I started to realize that in many ways, it parallels with where the church finds itself today. Psalm 79 can be broken into three parts. First, acknowledgement of Israel's destruction, verses one through four. Second, a call for intervention, which includes confession and petition for forgiveness, verses five through 12. And third, the promise of worship, a vow of renewed faithfulness to God, to God from his people. And that's verse 13. Okay, so let's read this psalm together. O oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Before our, our, our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. With your strong arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the contempt they have hurled at you, Lord. Then when your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever, from generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. As I said, Psalm 79 is broken down into three parts. And first, we have that acknowledgement of Israel's destruction. In the first part, we hear the people lamenting over the city of Jerusalem. It had been destroyed. God's holy temple, which had been invaded and desecrated, was gone. 
Many of the people had been killed and left unburied, their bodies devoured by scavengers. As a result, God's people were being judged and scorned by other nations. That is an incredible sight. I can just see that. And as I look at our world today, as I look at where the church is today, gosh, I see a lot of that in our own world. I see other people scorning the church of God for lack of action, for the things that we have done wrong, for the ways that we have fallen short, for the ways that we've been responding to issues of inequity and justice as a church. Look at where we have allowed nationalism instead of wholehearted devotion to God to lead our actions and ministry practices. For example, we're in the middle of a pandemic, a national health crisis, and yet sometimes we're often more concerned with our own rights and our own privileges than protecting the lives of others, lives of the most vulnerable. And this is upsetting to God. Protecting our own self-interest will get us no closer to the kingdom of God. Our selfishness, self-righteousness, pride, and disobedience to uphold the word of God will continue to be our destruction, just like what's pointing to in Psalm 79. If we don't return to his way, his call for the church, which is putting Jesus first in his kingdom, we will ultimately find ourselves being destroyed. Secondly, a call for intervention, which includes confession and petition for forgiveness. And this is verses 5 through 12. The people are calling out to the Lord. And we know that God hears us. He hears our cries. He listens to us. The people are crying out and they're asking the Lord to sincerely intervene on their behalf. They realize that they can do nothing without him. They realize that things are out of their control, that they need his wisdom, his guidance, his protection, his deliverance. They need his forgiveness from the sins of their ancestors and their own sins. They need him to come and bring glory to his name because he, because they have not done it. And so when God comes and he brings glory to his name, for his name's sake, the Lord is exalted. And they want God to be exalted ultimately. And all this I find myself asking, you know, when I'm praying for our city or when I'm praying for friends and family. Am I ultimately praying for God to be exalted or am I praying for the thing just to be fixed? And in this season, we have a ripe opportunity as the church to see God exalted in our world as we pray and we lift him higher, as he delivers us, as he forgives us, and we proclaim what he's done in and through our lives as the church. Third, there's the promise of worship a vow of renewed faithfulness to God. And this is verse 13. It's important to know that lament is not the antithesis of praise and worship, but praise and worship are a part of lament. 
Here in the last part of this psalm, the people promise a renewed worship of faithfulness, which is a byproduct of deliverance. When deliverance comes to God's people and we are restored into right relationship with him, there will be thanks forever. This is perpetual thanks, perpetual rejoicing, perpetual praise, praise that makes way for public witness of who God is. And when that deliverance and renewal come, an explosion of heartfelt and genuine worship is always the result. But we can't get to that amount of praise if we don't acknowledge sorrow. Lament, just as much as celebration, should always be a part of our worship. Lament will make us better communicators of the message of salvation, the message that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected to redeem us from our sins and to redeem this earth. If we have not found ourselves in deep lament in this season, then we have failed to recognize our need for Jesus. What will it take to draw you, me, us, closer to Jesus? To let go of unhealthy worldviews, methodologies, conspiracy theories, and pride so that, so that easily ensnares us so that we can celebrate Christ together and lament sincerely. As tempting as it might be to withdraw and hide right now, it is essential that we as the church not withdraw our presence from the world but erect a standard of holiness that accurately reflects who Jesus is, to truly be salt and light, a city on a hill. And we can't do that without acknowledging and lamenting over a sin-sick world and the consequences of our own sin, as well as the sins of our ancestors. Lament will be the catalyst for all of this. You know, on Monday, John Lewis, the great civil rights leader and congressman, was laid to rest in state um, at the Capitol. John Lewis was known as the consciousness of Congress. He was a follower of Jesus, a friend of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and a champion who fought tirelessly for equity and justice. He was an essential part of the civil rights movement. And as the country, and particularly the black community, mourns the loss of this man, I was reminded of a quote I read by John Lewis earlier that week. It states this, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. For me, that quote brings a question to the forefront of my mind. When we see something that isn't right, fair, or just, what will propel us to do something? The answer to the question is lament. And the reason being is, is that until we let the Spirit of God break our hearts for what has broken the hearts of others and the very heart of God, our commitment to justice, to our neighbors, to our city, and to God will always waver. Lament helps us, as it did the people of Israel, to identify with brokenness, 
so that we can move towards God. Justice doesn't happen without lament. And we hear that is the cry of a lot of people's hearts right now is justice. But it can't happen without first embracing sorrow and sadness of the brokenhearted. So we can't bypass this essential step as we seek the prosperity and welfare of our city and our neighbors. So before we close by taking communion together, I'd like to ask those of you who feel comfortable to join me in reciting a liturgy of lament. And this liturgy of lament was written by Latasha Morrison. And she's the author of Be the Bridge, which the staff and the elders have been reading over the last month or so. So read aloud the text whenever you see group on the screen. We acknowledge that we stood by when the dwelling of our neighbors were cast down and we ignored the cries of the innocent. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we acknowledge we have not learned to do right. We do not seek restorative justice that benefits all. We have not defended the oppressed. We have not taken up the cause of the fatherless or pleaded the cause of the widow. Instead, we have mocked and punished the poor with our partnership and apathy. Lord, have mercy. We lament that we stood by as systemic and institutionalized racism became founding pillars and structures in America and within the church. Lord, have mercy. We have allowed agendas of an empire to become prominent within your church. We understand the empire aims to take and oppress. We have replaced your kingdom with an empire mentality. Lord, have mercy. We have formed and developed church structures and denominations while excluding the voice of your global church due to racism and racial segregation. Lord, have mercy. We acknowledge racial hierarchies and structures of privilege many have benefited from and many have been oppressed by. Lord, have mercy. We have ignored the cries of children because they were not our own. We have discounted the pain of mothers because they were not our own. We have turned a blind eye to the affliction of brown and black people because they were not our own. Lord, have mercy. We have replaced your supremacy with idolization of our nation and racial identity. Lord, have mercy. We have not required justice, we have not loved others well, and we have not walked in humility in our brokenness. We cry out to you, our God and Redeemer, as the only one who can save us from ourselves. Show us our blind spots. Don't let us hide from you in our shame and guilt. Restore us to your perfect union that can be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, show us how to do justice. 
show mercy and walk humbly with you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen.